Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Well, folks, welcome to this podcast. We have a very, very different arrangement tonight because I'm sitting here in podcast headquarters in the man cave this time, uh, poised to speak to a couple of very, very special guests. Uh, joining us via the magic of Skype, we have Paniotis Bogdanos, Pani in California, and Andrew Delgano in Aberdeen. Hello, boys. Hello, Sean. How you doing, Shani? Very, very well. I'm very excited about our discussion today because we're going to launch into 10cc in the 1980s. We're going to start today with the Look Here album. But I think before we we bring in Mr. McNulty, who chatted with me uh, at length a few days ago and who we're going to kind of be editing around our conversation tonight, chaps, and, and I'll be bolting together some kind of Frankenstein's monster of a podcast. And I'm delighted to invite these chaps uh, to join us with the podcast tonight because uh, we've been talking for a long, long time now uh, about 10CC uh, and we have uh, a lot of points of view in common. But th- the, the reason that we've asked the, these chaps tonight is that uh, Panny and I hadn't really realised that we had a, a shared love of 10CC, but uh, it became apparent about a year ago when we, when we launched the, the podcast. And it, it turns out that Panny is very much more familiar than Paul and me with the later material. And likewise with Andrew, who has a a real penchant for windows in the jungle, we thought it was it would be a, such a good idea to have people who had a, a much more positive angle to spin on this episode than Paul and me on our own. Because I have to say, chaps, I've struggled with the 10cc Mark II stuff and the 10cc Mark III stuff. When we get past bloody tourists, that's when my interest in the band's music really starts to wane. So what I'm really hoping for, and what I I know you're going to deliver in this episode today, is to give us just a little bit more juice in the tank uh, to help Paul and me soldier through these three albums. My erstwhile partner, Paul, who can't be with us today, it's kind of like an awards ceremony, Paul. We've got a a satellite link up to Manchester, but welcome. Well, thank you for welcoming me. Yeah, yeah, um, so today we're talking about um, 10CC albums 7, 8 and 9, otherwise known as Look Here, 10 Out of 10 and Windows in the Jungle. Yeah, the the 80s stuff basically, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really interesting period. Um, Musically, maybe not as satisfying as the earlier 10CC Mark II stuff, but there's still loads to talk about um, in spite of that, maybe even because of that. For a few months now, Paul, I've been kind of dreading this episode. <laughs> and I, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I hate to say that because I, I, I love doing the podcast and every single subject we've ever had uh, as as excited me, I struggled a bit with with the deceptive Ben's bloody Taurus episode, because yeah. I, I could sort of feel my lifeblood ebbing away. But <laughs> with this, it, it's been even more of a, a, a kind of a, a 
a leap of, of effort and uh, try to really get myself geared up for this because I have to say I've listened to all three of these 80s records over the last probably eight or nine months since we started doing the pod I've listened yeah. to them regularly probably ten times each mm. and I'm still left at the point where some tracks I can't even rem remember how they go and usually I can tell within a listen, sometimes two listens, whether I really like an album. And usually there's a track that I can hum back at you uh, after a couple of listens. But, yeah. with, but with these albums, there are very, very few tracks that stick in my mind. And I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I love 10CC. I'm loyal to them. They're, they're my third favourite band, if you like. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm left with the feeling that I'm just literally trudging through treacle, trying to get these tracks to kind of lodge in my brain and I'm left with with the conclusion that they must be quite forgettable songs if I'm struggling to, to remember many of them uh, after all that effort does that make any sense to you Paul yeah I don't think I'm quite as far along that line as you are <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, gl I'm glad because it could be this could be very miserable listening otherwise well well that's why we've got um andrew and panny isn't it because absolutely we, we, although we've yet to hear their um detailed input and we're, we're just saying we're doing this podcast piecemeal so we haven't as yet heard their input but <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the two of them like these trio of albums a good deal more than we do yes and that's that's why we're doing it and and you know we're only of we're just we've got our opinions and and um, it may be that well our opinions are well they're just opinions it's not that's right. just because just because we think sheet music's better than windows of the junk uh, windows in the jungle there are people who, who think the opposite i know some people are very fond of that album particularly and so we want to hear somebody who's really enthusiastic about it. Absolutely. Um, we, we need a much more balanced uh, assessment, don't we, uh, of this stuff? Um, but yeah. for, for, me, for me, where I sit as a 10cc fan, you know my thoughts on uh, my preference for, for the first four <laughs> albums. Um, yeah. But these, this material just doesn't do it for me. Uh, and we'll go into a lot of detail about each, each of the three records, try and analyse what's there, and, and try yeah. to come up with it i don't know a balance and an objective assessment of whether these albums are successful more successful than, than you and i feel and uh, so, some of it's really good uh, i think just the in summary i think it's the, the relationship between eric and graham just wasn't working you know this early yeah. really and and that's probably the overriding factor it just doesn't doesn't gel no uh, i agree that, that there's no spark there is there that's I think that's correct. A lot of the songs were recorded separately. Um, and even those that, recordings that were made together, I don't know whether I'm projecting something onto the music. But I do think you, without the two main protagonists getting on so well, which I believe was the case during this period, yeah. the music's got to suffer, isn't it? It really has. How could it not? Uh, I mean, they're, yeah. they're certainly they're in the studio. They're playing lots of instruments on on most of the tracks, with, with a few obvious exceptions. So they're mm. there together, but you don't get that same sense of a kind of a, a a warm camaraderie that you got in the early days, where you you felt it was like a melting pot of of four guys who were in love with each other musically. 
Oh, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah, that, that, that's true. But it, but even the early days of Mark II, I mean, Deceptive Benz, they had something to prove. Well, Eric particularly, but also Graham, they, they, they were uh, working together there and they really, uh, and that kind of... Yes, that really that, that really worked, didn't it? But it there must have in their favor. sure. Then, yeah. but there must have been that resentment there already because Graham had, had flown the nest with with Kevin and Lowell, hadn't he? And well, and, yeah. and, and, well, and that kind whole of periods, yeah, quite di- quite difficult. I mean, it's a difficult situation, um, uh, you know. With but with Kevin Lowell splitting, that just put everything upside down and difficult to say who should have done what or who did what you know it's um that's right but i'm, I'm just simply referring to the fact that you've got deep resentments already even in, in deceptive bends which it works successfully they sound like they're having fun together as musicians yeah. and, and composers yeah. uh, but maybe that was the, the big big seeds and harvey when we met him he was talking about the, the resentments that had been building for years and I got the impression from him that there were already resentments between between Graham and Eric um, on a, a personal or professional or songwriting level. We, we shall never know the answers uh, to, to, no. to those questions. But I, I feel really guilty here, Paul, for for kicking off this podcast in such a repetitive and, and miserable note, if you like. Um, but I can't hide my disappointment. Uh, in in this material there are not one of the albums for me throws out a track that I could say that I love and you'd think that you know one of my favorite bands across three albums with that amount of talent uh, could could give me something that was truly exciting but I've got I've got a few I've got a few that I really love I want to start, if I can, Sean, with um, something Eric Stewart quoted. I um, don't know whether you know, he used to run a, a great website, which um, um, he would answer questions from fans, uh, gave great and honest answers. And um, that website is, is no more. But through the, um, the Internet Wayback Machine which is a way of kind of accessing old websites and, mm. and snapshots that are taken through their lifetime. You can you can still dig out nearly all of this stuff. And um, somebody asked him um, why Look Here didn't sound anywhere near as good as the previous 10CC albums. Mm. Uh, and he, he answered the question directly rather than getting sort of stuffy about it. And I'm, I'm going to read you his answer if I can. Cause yeah. it, um, could start us off on this on this talk. Eric says, after I mixed Bloody Tourists, where the group had now grown to a six-piece outfit, and after my car accident, I didn't mix another 10cc album by myself, and there is a big difference in the mixes, as you say. Mm. I mainly listened, brackets produced, and made suggestions to the second engineers, Tony Spath, and eventually Keith Bessie, but I found being in the control room and listening for extended periods at loud volume very hard at the time. I know that the British music scene changed rapidly after my accident, but we never got another big hit. Mm. Good albums, great musicians, but the chemistry had changed. Plus, the albums didn't have my engineering stamp on them. And that's that's how Eric answered that question. That's very telling, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a really it's a really good, straightforward, and honest answer, I think. And of course, it alludes to the fact that he had a very serious car accident in January 1979, which nearly took his life, mm. um, and he took a long time to recuperate from that. And uh, he wasn't able to engineer in the same way anymore, as, as, he, as he says there. And Absolutely. And it, 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 yes, go on. I just said it had a fundamental effect on the way 10CC records sounded after. I agree. Um, in, in lots of ways for me. Uh, yes, the, the crash seriously damaged his hearing in one ear, I believe, wasn't it? And, yes, uh, and, 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 and damaged his, his sight as well. Yeah, he lost his sight in one eye completely, yeah. uh, either then or soon after. Yeah, y- yeah so the, the the physical effects of the, of the crash were, were huge and it put him, it made him unable to be in any kind of loud environment, didn't it, for about six months, I read, uh, whether it was music, of course, which he loved, and, and motor racing, which was another passion. So he, he, yeah, wasn't, right. he, he wasn't allowed to indulge in those passions. And uh, and his mental state must have been very, very tricky. Um, it, it must have led to anxiety, depression, maybe. And I think that, that we can hear that, Paul, in the music. Would you agree? I would, I would, and and that is uh, the sort of common, commonly held, you know, belief about 1979 and into 1980 that that um, Eric was at a reduced capacity, if you like, and wasn't able to sort of to work in the way he would have, and that is undoubtedly some of the story. I do know about uh, you know Eric and you know his car accident and you know, the loss of hearing and the uh, inability to listen to loud music for a while uh, during that period of his recovery. And I don't know, I think, you know, Eric maybe just needed to take a step back and let somebody else do it too. I mean, we know that the earlier 10CC albums, uh, the, the mastering is, you know, fantastic. And that's what makes those records sound so good yeah uh, but it's it's really hard to say and you know I I, th- I do think you know the albums look here and 10 out of 10 and windows in the jungle do suffer because uh, they don't have Eric's math mastering but then again you know the people that were working as engineers for them Tony Spath mm-hmm. and the other gentleman um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head I think it's Keith something. Uh, I think these people had worked with Eric quite a bit, so they, to some extent, knew what he wanted. Um, well, I think the main problem in Look Here isn't isn't so much the production and the mastering, but just the poor quality of the songwriting. I think if you go into Windows, I think the engineering and production on that album is is absolutely superb. But just generally, you know, I don't think I don't think many of Ten CC's fans are are very fond of Look Here. There's different degrees of to which people like certain songs, but uh, I think just generally the, the songwriting's pretty poor on this album. I couldn't agree more. For me, that's the absolute problem with Look Here. Yeah, the sound is a little bit... Mm, even though it's it's clear and punchy and has some of the, the hallmarks of the 10cc sound, it does come down to the, the, to the songs in terms of memorable hooks, memorable lyrics, memorable melodies. I, Absolutely. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that as well. I think the main thing that I find, you know, I, now that I've reviewed these albums again, I used to really 
listen to these albums all the time, and I put them away for a little while, but now that I've had a chance to get back into them and make a few notes, like somebody had said about some of these records, that it was almost like 10cc by numbers. You know, they were mm. writing some things that, and kind of repeating some of the ideas that they'd already had visited. You know, the album is somewhat normal, and I find it at times kind of unexciting and uninspired, which, you know, without, you know, having to say they depended on Godly and Cream, but I find that they added an edge to Eric and Graham's writing, and uh, sometimes, you know, on the, uh, as you call it, 10CC Mark II stuff, uh, some of that influence seemed to be missing, and I think it does uh, happen, you know, for the most part on Look Here, especially. Oh, you, you're not wrong there, Panny. Absolutely. I mean, never more can you can you hear Godley and Cream's absence more on this one. <laughs> interesting Mm. angle to what might have made look here a failure uh, artistically uh, and whether one agrees with that uh, I I don't know but uh, that's my feeling and that is um, of course we've we've had these uh, the opportunity to have all this great studio documentation from 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 strawberry yeah courtesy courtesy of Harvey Lisberg and um, that documentation, although fragmentary, is particularly strong around the 79, 80, 81 period. Mm. Um, and we've got most of the track sheets, I think, from both Strawberry South and North during that period. Yeah. Uh, and that covers the Look Here period. But what those track, what that documentation shows us, when you kind of pull it all together, I, I sort of did a bit of research trying to pull all the pages uh, from that period together. And that shows us something very interesting, which is which is that in the first part of 1979, uh, both Graham and Eric, possibly Eric, but definitely Graham, recorded solo albums mm. um, before regrouping for Look Here. So they were spent. Um, they'd used up tons of good tracks. Um, and when they reconvened, if you like, in the sec- second part of 1979 to record Look Here, they were kind of worn out. But that that also shows Eric was working in the studio in the early part of seven, earlier in 79. Yeah. It wasn't that he, that he was working on his own stuff, on, on tracks that eventually became the girls' soundtrack. That's right. And um, there's quite... I, I was listening to a few of those tracks earlier on this morning, actually, Paul, and there's there's quite a zip to them um it, it, there's a a kind of a kind of joie de vivre about that stuff and and i hear that as well in animal olympics which i think is uh, well we'll we'll come on to that one at a later podcast but i think there's a, a a huge sense of fun in that record that is missing from all three of the albums that we're going to be talking about in, in these podcasts yes that's right i mean it's a weird situation in 79 you've got Eric recording with a backing band, Graham recording with a backing band, and it's the same band. <laughs> it's yeah. the same four guys minus the other senior partner. And 
all of Animal Olympics and as far as I know, Girls was recorded in that manner. In fact, most of Girls was co-written with Duncan Mackay, I think. Yes. Um, yeah, so... Um, it's a very that, it's a very odd picture, that, isn't it? And, and it, it tells you possibly all you need to know about the chemistry within 10cc. If I can add also, Paul, there's a, an additional factor, I think, which uh, affects mm-hmm. everything that happened after the crash. And, and I go back to Eric's book where he's talking about convalescing in hospital after the accident. And mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of bitterness about Graham not visiting him in the hospital. Yes, I, I picked that up. Um, he was also really pissed off that even while he was in hospital, I think Graham went ahead and started work on the single sunburn. Yeah. Uh, and again, the documentation saw the backside up. That was recorded in March 1979. It was tracked then along with its B-side. And um, I think they wanted, or Graham wanted that out as a 10cc single because it was tied in with the film, obviously. Absolutely, um, yeah. But... Uh, he was dissuaded from from doing that, so it became a solo single. Mm. Um, but yeah, that 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 really cut Eric up. I think the fact that Graham just started work, um, and Animal Olympics, I think, was also intended as a 10TC project. Um, but obviously, Graham just took a flyer and 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 went ahead and and recorded that, and that was that was finished really by sort of the summer of 79 and it was already planned to tie in with the 1980 olympics etc so yeah but it but it was but it was pre-recorded we'll we'll talk about animal olympics another time artistically i think you know my feelings on it i think it's a great record and i agree and, and we'll, i think it's it's these three albums <laughs> put together aren't the equal of animal olympics in my opinion i think it's a terrific collection of, of stuff yeah it's 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 chock full of great songs yeah um and these uh, these, al- these albums certainly aren't chock full of great songs, Paul. As we'll <laughs> as we'll f- find out a little bit later. That's an interesting question, Sean. I was going to make the very self same point, but certainly about Animal Olympics, which I know Paul in particular is a, a very big fan on. <laughs> there's no, yeah. and there's no doubt there's some 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 very good songs on it. Um, as to girls, I must ask you: <laughs> Have you seen the film? No, I haven't, and and I, and I won't be anytime soon. I don't think. Is it any good? <laughs> I've not seen it, and I certainly wouldn't admit on here if I had seen it. But <laughs> I think it's a semi sort of soft porn film, isn't it? A bit like Emmanuel, as, as I understand it. Or ca- or carry on, Emmanuel. <laughs> maybe maybe it is, but I mean, I've, I've heard the soundtrack, and it's it's you know it's pretty much lift music in my opinion. Mm. But by complete contrast, Animal Olympics, Graham's project was a good one. So he, he certainly he maybe left his better songs on that album. Girl, you are the mother of the future. My uh, abiding memory of Look Here was uh, going back to the aforementioned and infamous Wellingborough Record Library. Where yes. uh, and this would have been around eighty eighty one, I think, when I, I saw this very um, loud and striking cover. I'd already fallen in love with the How Dare You album. I'd already right. been listening avidly to Consequences, and by that time enjoyed sheet music and the other two albums. And 
I was very excited to see a, a, a brand new 10cc album and I loved the cover. It was very bold and intriguing. You know, are you normal? That's what I thought the album was called. And yes. and everything about it, the for example, the inner sleeve had the same flavour as as the previous albums. Uh, How dare you? It even had the the telephone uh, illustration inside, and it felt yeah. it felt like uh, getting back to the high standards of of the the early seventies stuff. So I was very very excited about hearing it because it looked and felt and smelt like it was going to be uh, something really exciting. And yeah, it's a good. It's a good cover. It's quite. I really proggy, like it. It's quite a proggy cover, isn't it? You think, you know, it's really left field. I like the imagery, the the, the sheep uh, on the on the couch or whatever. That's the right. Yeah, the, the kind of the, the almost sinister phone conversation going on between a guy upstairs and ringing some yeah. um, some phone in the flat opposite, and then. Uh, there's some artwork around the side two lyrics, which is a guy kind of sleepwalking, um, oh, yeah. like Wee Willy Winky with his with his nightcap on, and he's held yeah. up by tent pegs. Oh yeah, which is very very odd, um, with a, a little table lamp and a book and stuff, and it's it it says a lot, and it's very surreal. Everything's looking great for this album, but unusually at the time I used to record everything that I borrowed from the library and this was one of the first records that I didn't even bother to tape even at that age right. uh, you know 16 17 year old I thought oh dear I really don't like this record I'm trying to shake that initial reaction to the album uh, when, when yeah. I listen to it afresh now and I've, I've listened to this record probably four or five times in, in the last fortnight and I, and I'm sure I'm now approaching it, you know, with a more, um, with a new, a new ear. But ultimately, I'm left with the same feeling I had as a 16, 17 year old, thinking this isn't very good. No, not compared with what's gone before. No. I mean, it's um, it does feel washed out, and there's sort of just no energy, and the songs just aren't there really. And that's going back to what we said earlier. It's partly because they'd. They were keeping some of their best material um, <laughs> for solo projects, maybe. So, so that was all feeding in. And it's interesting that on on look here that we get quite a few of the other band members coming in and contributing songs. And Rick Fenn, who didn't write any songs on any other album has got three consecutive songs, numbers two, three, and four, Welcome to the World, which he wrote with Duncan Mackay, How Am I Ever Going to Say Goodbye, which he wrote with Graham, and then when he wrote himself, Don't Send Me Back. Very much so. It's That's a strange chemistry, isn't it, in 10cc? Certainly very strange that they put all three of them back to back. Mm. And uh, if, if any of them were any good? Well, you know, I... I'm not particularly positive about this album, but I think there are some good songs on it. And I think Welcome to the World is an excellent song, in my opinion. And probably, with the exception of Second Sitting for the Last Supper, probably 10cc's most collaborative song ever, because written by Rick and Duncan, yeah. and there was two lead vocalists on it, Eric and Graham. I think it's interesting lyrically. Um, I love the couplet. 
if every Chinaman jumped up and down and in sync, then California would be sucked into the drink. Which is I don't know whether that's an urban urban myth or whether it's true, but it, I find it funny and well put. It's an interesting track that, and um, what particularly gets me about it, and and why my ears prick up when it comes on is because it comes on very prog rock doesn't it with the the kind mm-hmm. of the, the kind of manic keith emerson Emer, emerson lake and palmer organ solo very very unusual yes. direction yes and do, do you like that song penny well welcome to the world it's kind of been a hot and cold song with me for a lot of years um i think you know, with the politics in the band at the time and trying to make it a band effort more so than just Graham and Eric providing the songs, Rick and Duncan really try hard to copy Tensy C's writing style, you know, bring in, yeah, I, mean, I mean, the song's, you know, very quirky, you know, it's the topic of bringing a child into the world that's, you know, already full and, you know, and uh, indicating that the world might, you know, have some trouble taking care of them. I mean, uh, I think it, it's an interesting subject to write about, but again, it comes across to me as a very average, average song. Uh, I find uh, that Graham's bass playing on the song is pretty phenomenal. And- oh yeah, I agree. <laughs> appreciate that you know maybe eric and graham and you know encouraged the others to try to write a song and you know maybe that was because you know maybe eric needed to step back a little bit i mean if you look at the whole album graham is writing more on this album i mean even the so you know the tracks that he did without eric i think there's two or three that are just graham goldman tracks um he seems to be singing a bit more too and as far as that line, you know, if every Chinaman jumped up, I've always kind of wondered what, you know, what significance that has to the rest of the lyrics. If you really look at the rest of the lyrics, it seems to be an interesting lyric, but it seems to be a little bit out of place. You know, a bit throw, uh, a bit throwaway, isn't it, really? Yeah, and there's the other line: one, one thousand congressmen assemble every day. They send us packing on a dreadlock holiday. You know, they kind of refer back to bloody tourists and dreadlock holiday there too i don't know if that's you know conscious thing to maybe bring up dreadlock holiday again to make the listener think like oh wow this is like dreadlock holiday yeah exactly and and of course they're doing it on so many other tracks aren't they on this album and the next one and the next one by by reintroducing the the reggae calypso thing again and again again and again i I take the chinaman line to be basically saying Mankind is very clever. It can come up with all sorts of different clever things, but is it really directing itself into the right areas and should it not be devoting into itself into things that are going to do more to save the world? My take on it. Yeah, no, no, that, I think that's a really interesting take. I could agree with that to a certain point, yeah. Um, I wasn't really commenting on that part of it. It just, I don't know, it seems like a lyric, that lyric, is a little bit out of sync with the rest of the song, but I, I kind of get what you're saying. If every Chinaman jumped up and down in sync, then California would be sucked into the drain. Duncan literally flying at the keys with these amazing organ lines, and I'm thinking, crikey, yeah. this is actual prog rock. Um, yes. But, but then it kind of it kind of descends into 
um, a, a strange, lumpy little song with some <laughs> some very odd lyrics. Um, I've, I've got the lyric sheet in, in front of me actually, and and it's yeah. you're through gestation. I mean, what an opening line to a song! Uh, so yeah. welcome to the world. We've still got vacancies just waiting to be filled. We're still delivering 10,000 souls a day and disproportionately packing them away. I mean, th that must be the only song Dodia Dog is reacting. It's got to be the only time that the words gestation and disproportionately have been used in a pop song. I quite like those lyrics. At least they've got something to say. They have, haven't it's they? There's a strong message there. Yeah, it's one of a subgenre of songs where people, you know, the, the the protagonist is actually speaking to a newborn and saying, "This is what you're getting yourself into." Yeah, there's a few of those, isn't there? There's that's right. And summer's yes, summer's cauldron. Summer's cauldron by XTC is a, is a, is about Andy Partridge welcoming his his son, I think, into the world. And there's probably others I can't think of. I quite like that. Rick's also writing with a real social conscience, isn't he, on, on Don't Send We Back. What's your take on that one? It's not one of my favourite songs, but it's not one of my least favourite either. I, I don't mind it. I think when he's singing, he's not got the strongest of voices, but he can hold a tune. But when he's singing, the song's OK. I just find the, the guitar bits um, dredgy, a bit uninspired, <laughs> which, is, which is very odd because he's a fantastic guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen... The new 10cc, the Graham's version of 10cc, three or four times. He's a wonderful guitarist. Yeah. And, and I thought, I'd have thought he could have done better himself, but, but why you know, Why did he write that one himself? Why did Graham not come in? Or why did, not, why did Eric not come in and, and, and finish it off? Graham's so good at finishing things. Um, Eric's a great guitarist. And you'd have thought they could have come in and added something. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll come on to this when we go into other songs as well, but... They work so much better yeah. when they're not writing alone. I, I completely agree. And Graham's got a genius, hasn't he, for embellishing songs, bringing a real sense of magic to it. Eric does play lead guitar on, on this track, doesn't he? I, I, I'm not a fan of Rick's lead vocal on this one. I tend to agree with that, Sean. Uh, you know, it's a it's a Rick Fenn song, and the, the main problem I have with the song, there's two things. One is that Rick's voice is not that strong. His gruff voice, you know, in the in, in the other song, "How Am I Ever Going to Say Goodbye?" He sings one little section of that. Yeah, I think it, I think it works better there. But on this, uh, it almost seems like he's on the loo having a smoke. Oh, here's the microphone. Hung, <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, I, I mean, it's it's it, it kind of grooves on a certain way, but. Uh, I, I think, to some extent, it's also a little bit politically naive. Yeah. Which, which is what I've seen other people say about it, and I think at the same time you have to take it as a bit tongue in cheek too, and that kind of just gets back to what I said earlier, where uh, Rick and Ralph was trying to write for the band, trying to capture a bit of that uh, 10cc quirkiness of the past. Yeah and, and, uh, yeah, and we even get the harmonised guitar parts, don't we? Have you noticed yeah. that it, it does sound very much like the sort of mid-70s there, where I'm not sure if that was a deliberate nod back, do you think, to the, the classic 10cc sound? 
I, I can say, Sean, that one thing I find a lot in these uh, later Tennessee albums, if you go back to Deceptive Bands and listen to, uh, what is it, uh, You've Got a Cold, yeah, right? And that middle guitar lead that kind of doubles up and then it goes from the left speaker to the right speaker with two different guitar players. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I find that they use that effect a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I find that it gets under my skin, makes me mad, and it's like, ah, they're mm-hmm. doing it again. And, and that also kind of gets back to, you know, that tropical reggae feel that they use in so many songs. Yeah. And I don't know how many times that that kind of gets in the way of the, you know, of the track, you know, even, even in, you know, other songs where Graham and Eric, you know, they sometimes try to sing in that Jamaican style. Yeah. That, that uh, really, that really grates with me. Yeah. I mean, those things, there's times where it grates with me too. And going back and really listening to these albums uh, in the last couple of weeks, I find, I find, you know, when I start writing notes about it, I see that it comes up a lot more than I ever realized. Yeah. And, and, and even in the song, when you hear the guitars uh, kind of coming together and being double tracked or whatever the process is. So I think it just takes away from it sometimes. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you said a few minutes ago, Panny, about this being, uh, having a sense of, of it being 10cc by numbers. A very strange delivery of that message. Um, it comes on a bit like uh, "Goodnight Tonight" by Wings. Mm. That kind of uh, kind of bouncy, disco-y kind of style, uh, and it, it, yeah, it just doesn't work for me. Even though I quite, I find it quite catchy. Well, yes. I mean, that was a 10cc mode of operation using a sort of a jaunty song to sing about quite a hard-hitting lyric. So that 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 fits with previous songs of of the band, I think. Yes, I mean, I, would... I agree, and it kind of it, it it reminds me on a couple of levels of Hotel actually. Uh, yeah, in, right. in, in that same way, that that had a kind of jaunty, bouncy style, uh, and the the lyric content's not a million miles away for it and they both songs um mangle the grammar to kind of pretend to be asian don't send we back now you think of it as sort of casual racism if you like but that there's something just sticks in my throat when i send when i say don't send we back I don't yeah. know if you feel that. Do you know what I mean? It's just a bit, yeah, a bit I, silly. I do. I, I think they were trying. I, I don't think it. I think it was done with the best of intentions, like the lyric. Um, yeah. It's just a bit. It's just a little awkward, really. Yeah. Sure. Um, what, what do you think about the lead vocal, Rick's Rick's lead on on "Don't Send Me Back"? It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, you know, I don't have too much to say about it, other than that it's it, it's a serviceable lead. It's, uh, I think that was pretty. Was that the only time he sang lead on a 10cc track? You mentioned um, the, the 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 dreaded calypso reggae feel. Um, and of course, that's a, a, a big feature of How Am I Ever Going to Say Goodbye, isn't it? Which is the other Rick number. Um, 
Andrew, is is that one of your favourites on the album? Yes, I actually I actually really do like this one. one. One very interesting aside about that this one is if you look at the the, the sleeve notes where it says everyone's contribution. <laughs> I know I know what you're going to say. It says out to lunch. Yeah. Um, and later on when. We have uh, I Hate to Eat Alone, another Graham song. Again, Eric, um, well, he plays percussion, which presumably means he, he shook a tambourine or something. Mm. But it contrasts very much with the, the story that we hear from uh, the time of Sunburn, Graham's solo song that he recorded with the rest of 10CC apart from Eric in 1977, where apparently he, he suggested to Eric that they released it as a 10CC song. And apparently Eric was absolutely furious at, at that idea. Uh, because of course, and I understand why, because he's an integral part of Tensi. Yeah, of course, of course. wanted to keep some output going, but uh, yeah, so Eric wasn't going to take Sunburn being released as a Tensi song. But he, but there are songs where he doesn't actually contribute anything at all on this album. has quite a catchy melody, Paul. I'm just immediately put off by that Calypso style. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, I think that's... I always think of that as a Graham song, maybe unfairly, because Rick's got a co-write on it, but surely the, the catchy chorus, which is one of the, the best hooks on the album, that's got to be a Graham chorus, isn't it? I'd have thought so. Yeah. I definitely I'd have thought so. And um, yeah, I think I think it's pretty catchy. And again, he's 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 using the the reference to sleeping alone again, isn't he on this? And that, yes. and that that phrase seems to pop up on lots and lots of his songs uh, around this period. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> one imagines that yeah, that would Yeah, it must have been a key out. thing. Yeah, I mean, it it pops up on Bloody Tourist, doesn't he, where a lot of his songs are about kind of being away uh, on tour, you know, staying in hotels and what have you. Um, yeah, so Lifeline it, and so on. Yeah, and, that's um, it. And even Rochdale too, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. And um, it, this idea of him sleeping alone and being very, very unhappy about doing that is kind of threaded through so many songs. Hmm. I pick myself up in a downtown bar You know the feeling was lousy Either of you got any thoughts on on Eric's abandonment of, of those very personal songs of Graham's? Any breakup of a marriage, you know, creates a lot of stress and tension and a lot of songwriters that to be an inspiration for writing. And, you know, maybe Eric perhaps thought that maybe Graham should be bringing this into the, you know, the type of stuff that 10CC was doing. I mean, mm. I, I look at song, I look at this song in um, I Hate to Eat Alone as, you know, two of Graham's personal pop tunes more so than something that should really be on a 10CC album. I, I do like both of the songs. Uh, I, I think, as I said earlier, how am I ever going to say goodbye? The little part that Rick sings seems a bit flat, so I'm surprised that it's in there, especially if this is Graham writing about it, yeah. of course. Uh, I also find that, again, you know, it has that reggae feel in some of the sections, you know, that come up, and Graham's trying to sing it in that reggae, you know, style. I mean, if you want to 
to write a song about his breakup, something like a simple ba ballad would have worked just fine. I mean, Graham's a great pop writer, and he's you know has a history of writing great pop tunes. Yeah, and yeah, sure. Even in the subject matter like this, you know, he he could have written it as you know a simple pop tune, but again, that you know idea of uh, turning it into a reggae track was probably done to make it fit into the 10 cc style and and you know be used better for the album yeah uh, one one thing i do want to point out is the middle section with uh, duncan mckay's solo uh to me is is gorgeous i mean duncan mckay is a fantastic um, keyboard player he's played with quite a few people over the years i'm not sure if he's still around but uh i think he was part of one of the uh, lineups of yes mm. uh, for a while I kind of remember uh, my brother mentioning that to me years ago. But, uh, you know, I, I also understand Eric's point of view of it, too. You know, maybe it was too heavy uh, a subject to write about it. And, and as Andrew said, maybe Graham recorded these songs um, when Eric was recovering. Mm. I mean, we don't know the timeline when they were done. But, you know, but just to get some stuff recorded while Eric was recovering or whatever the situation was. I'll chip in with the my other favourite on there, uh, which is I Hate to Eat Alone. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, on a par with it, doesn't matter at all. It's a, it's a brilliant song. Um, it's a key song, really, because along with How Am I Ever Going to Say Goodbye, it's it's a divorce song, isn't it? It's, it's um, yes. Graham was getting divorced from his first wife, Susan, I think. Um, and it really is... Uh, uh, quite a cutting lyric um, it's it's kind of like Graham doing a face value yes you know but but, but he'd never kind of shout and scream like Phil on um, I don't care anymore or he'd never <laughs> sob like Phil on you know what I mean but in in his own way it's just as direct and and quietly devastating um, and it's a and and that's brought about because it's a gorgeous melody or set of melodies. It meanders, but it, but but it, it and yet stays focused. If that makes sense, mm. it's a, a great song. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you've said something positive about it, Paul, because it it, it really just, don't, it, it, it really doesn't do it for me at all. And you know, we're both massive fans of, of Graham's songwriting. Yeah. Um, but oh, it's, it's just it's weed. I think the vocal's quite weedy. I think it's really mm. bland. Even though I feel for him, and that there's a, it's interesting you, you mentioned Phil Collins. There is a lot of that kind of divorce writing, isn't there, uh, in yeah. in this and I think the next album. That's right, and and I like that because he he's expressing you know real sentiments. Um, it's interesting that Eric hated those songs particularly. He singles <laughs> them out in his book, and it just shows the divide between them. He, you know, he, he couldn't get on board with the fact that his partner was bringing in depressing songs. Yeah, I know, it's, and, and I find that very—I don't know—I find that callous actually. I know, he, I think he shakes a maraca on this one, doesn't he? But on the other, <laughs> yeah, on the other divorce he song, he doesn't even turn up, does he? Well, maybe he wasn't invited. I mean, that just shows the, the, the sort of gap between them. It, um, we're always comparing to Genesis and uh, done not 30 seconds ago, but I'm going to make another comparison here to Phil, who brought in the song Please Don't Ask, mm. right, to the Duke Sessions, right Be about the same time. Beautiful song. 
beautiful song. But but the the difference there was that Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford really contributed greatly to that song. They empathised with Phil, and they add a lot to the song. And they um, and, and that was unlike any previous Genesis material. They kind of seemed yeah. to take a leap of faith and really go with him. And and uh, I mean, Mike Rutherford's beautiful bass playing on that song is kind of the equivalent of him putting an arm around Phil's shoulders. Mm. It's 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 really beautiful sympathetic playing and that's the sort of thing that you can see here with eric and graham they were just they were just not able to do anything like that eric didn't even want to approach this deeper material and if if the personal relationships between the, the band had been better then it could have brought something really good out i think i agree and and, and yeah something in terms of real emotion there isn't a lot of what feels like real emotion on these records, particularly this one, uh, I th- there are attempts, and mm. Eric is is talking about, you know, real life feelings of of love and so on, but the, it's almost like the lyrics become blander and blander, and and at least Graham is there trying to touch his own personal nerve a little bit. I know that he's not the only one that said he, he likes it. Someone on Facebook yesterday said it was a standout track, track from the album. Ah. I, mean, I don't like it. I don't like it. I prefer the um, How Am I Ever Going to Say Goodbye much more to this one. Okay. And I, I, I really feel at this, at this point in time that as a lyric writer, Graham is really missing the influence of his dad. You know, Sean, I, I find... First, let me say I like this song. I've always found it to be a simple ballad from Graham. Just, you know, nothing. You know, this one's more straightforward to me than how am I going to ever um, say goodbye. Yeah. I, I do like, you know, the idea of, you know, the song and, you know, the, the isolation that this song conveys. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of Lifeline uh, from Bloody Tourist. Yeah. You know, whatever reason you know graham wrote it you know regarding his divorce or even being on the road and touring and you know being in a hotel room you know between shows and between cities Mm. you know i mean it's 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 obviously written from whatever personal experience he has and whatever you know he found uh whatever influence he found to create a song And, and lyrically not the strong strongest lyrics overall but the line you know uh if frozen dinners don't do much for me uh, when you got TV on the table and TV on TV. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great lyric. It's a little bit corny, and some people would go, okay, he's trying to, you know, wordplay here. But, uh, you know, the other line that I think is really a great line is, you know, like the actor, what is it? Like the actor who's, who's forgotten. getting his lines. You stumble through the storyline, I think, is what he says. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think those are, you know, that's a great line. Um, it's got a gentle keyboard, you know, and the solos on the guitars are good. Mm. Uh, for me, you know, this one, you know, this one really stays in my head, you know, when I play the album, and it's been in my head for the last few days.
well, he's he's obviously suffering from his divorce, and mm. uh, you know, I don't know how long he was married to his first wife, but uh, I think it was, you know, from the, you know the uh, late '60s, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, that he got married to his first wife. I think it was '68 or '69, if I remember right. Okay. I may be wrong. Waking up and that person is not next to you in bed. I mean, uh, sleeping alone—it's something that, you know. It, if you're in any breakup with somebody, you know, you have an adjustment period. And I think he's writing from that angle of trying to adjust to being alone. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not, I can't get into Graham's head on it. No. Perish the thought that we ever get into Eric's head by, by um, sharing a bed with an inflatable person from, from Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, maybe Graham's just, um, you know, a better writer when he's happy. To me, this one's a bit wallowing in self-pity, to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Am I ever gonna close my eyes? Am I ever gonna sleep alone? Uh, I kind of remember somebody, you know, we're talking about how Eric was so, you know, upset about these songs. Uh, some say that this might be Graham actually talking to Eric, you know, mm. and saying, is the band breaking up? Are we done as a band? Is it time to move on? You know, and I, I think Eric wanted to continue with the band, and obviously they did for several more albums, but I think at the time with Eric's car accident and whatever state of mind he was in, perhaps Graham was feeling insecure about, you know, is 10CC going to continue? Um, mm. It's an interesting, because if you take the song... In that context of Graham talking to Eric, and you read what the lyrics say, you know, how are we gonna how are we gonna split up? How are we gonna say goodbye to each other? Uh, it kind of makes a lot of sense on a certain level. And I, I agree. I, it's a fascinating insight. But Graham was genuinely going through a divorce, though, wasn't he? Or had had just been? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I like that extra that extra nuance there, Panny. I actually do really like the song. And just sorry to follow on follow up on your theme of, of Eric being divorced from Graham's divorced songs. It, I think it continued <laughs> actually into ten out of ten with "Don't Ask," the first the first song from from that album, which was solo, a solo Graham Goldman songwriting credit. Yes, and and almost a pretty much a solo recording as well. Was it interesting? I, yeah. I haven't really I, investigated. That. If I'm right in thinking, Eric kind of adds a, a guitar part. And very little, okay. el- very little else, and and that's very much the the, the new way for Ten CC to record. I mean, if we if we look forward to the Mirror Mirror album, each. five five solo songs each, basically. So this is kind yeah. of halfway there towards that very very split binary form of Ten CC. Quite sad, isn't it? It is, although you're you're being very unlucky because you must have the US version of Mirror Mirror. I've got the UK version, which has about fourteen songs on it. I think. Well, the, the Americans never get the good versions of albums, do they, Penny? Hey, you've been hanging on to a dream Hoping that time would turn your fear away But you must stop, take a look around you What do you see? Do you see me? Let's throw some positive vibes in here. I, okay, I love... Um, it doesn't matter at all. Yes, I think it's. I think it's a beautiful song. It's 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 straightforward uh, love song, but uh, straightforward doesn't mean that it's not very inventive and very moving. Um, it's got just some little um, different sections in the middle which really lift it. Yeah, the dynamics 
Um, it's a nice lyric, uh, you know, wonderfully sung by Eric. Um, you know, that's that's really nice to hear. That clearly there was there's no damage to his to his vocal. I agree. Uh, I agree completely. And that is a great song. I think it was the second single, and they, they kind of blew it because they, you know, they didn't release it as the first <laughs> single. I, I think they should have, and that that was because it's the best song. It should go out as a single, in, yeah, in my opinion. I, what, I, what do you I think agree. I, yeah, I um, I don't, I don't love it, but I think it is the best, tr- the best track on the album. It's, okay. it's a nicely formed song, even though I don't, I don't admire the lyrics. Um, and the lyrics contribute to it being a little bit kind of like M.O.R. But it's, yeah. it, it, for me, it's definitely the nicest melody on the on the LP. And also, right. as you were saying, the, the instrumental has some vintage 10cc qualities to it, I think. Uh, yes. And there's some interesting chord changes and a key change, I think. Uh, and it, and it, yeah. it lifts it. It's something you think, oh, yeah, this is this is quality. This is a this is a nice a nice song, even though I, I find the lyrics really exceptionally bland. But that's true of, for me, that's true of most of the the post seventies ten cc material for me. The the lyrics are arguably the, the the worst aspect of the material. They're much simpler, and at times they're bad. I don't know why that the lyric on here just rings true. It's probably not written about personal experience anyway. But it, yeah. I just. I think the lyric is okay, and uh, yeah, lovely music, and um, yeah, definitely the best song on the record. In fact, the best song on all three records for me. Yes, um, I mean that's that's an interesting view, and I'm I'm not sure, to be honest, Paul. I'm not sure if I agree with you or or disagree with you on that. I think it's probably up there in the top three, top five for me of those of those right. tracks. Uh, see, here I am. <laughs> Going back to what I said earlier, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, well, actually, what songs do I like on any of the other records? it's a great track um i think it works about 90 percent as a single i think uh it's more of a pop tune and i used to really love the song a lot but going back and hearing it again i tend to hate songs where a guy or the narrator seems to think he has all the answers you know and if the, and if the girl opens up her ears and her eyes be mm. able to uh you know help her find her way um you know, some of the lyrics, you see, I've been hanging on to a dream, hoping yeah. you'll find if you needed me. It's very bland, and, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's it's almost corny, you know. And then I think he says, uh, giving you time to make your mind up. Do you want to be loved? Say you want to be loved. It's like he's trying to convince her, you know. Uh, and I, I don't know, these songs, I think especially in this day and age, uh, these songs tend to be a bit sexist, and I think in 1980 it might have even been a bit sexist. I, I, think it's, I think it's a nice song, and I think, again, for what they had to choose from, it was probably one of the better songs to put out as a single. Mm. But I also think that it's not a strong single because there really isn't a great hook in it. No. The, the melody is pleasant, but 
you know, it's it's kind of like uh, you know, you remember when the Beach Boys put out the L.A. album, Sean. You know, you're familiar oh, with I, that I, album. I loved it at the time. Yeah, uh, we all loved it at the time. But the reviewer, I remember reading a review, and and a, and the reviewer said. You know, the Beach Boy albums are putting out solid stuff, but it's the kind of stuff you play for your mother, and your mother <laughs> says, oh, that's nice, dear. That's kind of how this song sounds to me. It's a song that I can play for my mother. And she would say, oh, you know, that's nice, Panny. <laughs> well, it's funny Funny she mentioned this. One of the things I, I said to Paul during our conversation a few days ago was that I played the other night when I was just kind of doing a, last, a bit of last-minute uh, cramming, I was playing them in the kitchen and Sally Sally heard Look Here and Windows in the Jungle. And she said, oh, I like this. And I said, well, why do you like it? And she said, well, it, it's, it's, it's nice, it's pleasant. And I said, well, there you go. That's that's why I don't like these records. Am I being unfair? I have to say I don't like it. It doesn't matter at all. I think the whole, you know, the whole middle of that, that album is, is a poor, very, very poor combination of songs. You've got Don't Send Me Back, I Took You Home, and Eric Stewart's solo composition. Doesn't matter at all. And Dress to Kill. I think back to back there, before before the start the weakest combination of 10cc songs you could have. I think it I think it does get better with Lovers Anonymous on, onwards actually. I don't know what your views are. Yeah, I, I see I quite like Dress to Kill because it, it's kind of it's got a funky groove and it might be the catchiest on the album. And by this by this time i'm desperate for something that's going to hook me something that's going to be singable along to something that's going to you know grace the charts do you know what i mean i think i'm i'm desperate so dress to kill <coughs> dress to kill is kind of like all oh, my pulse has gone up to 53 now i'm not going to die during listening to this album <laughs> put your money where your mouth is get your finger on the buzzer it on no, no, I think yep. it's I think it's Paul's least favourite ten CC track of all time. Well, that's funny. My notes I've written very weak. One of ten CC's worst songs. Well, there you go. You, you and Paul, uh, you and Paul are, are singing from the same hymn sheet there. Uh, let's talk about, shall we, one two five, which was the lead single. Oh, good grief! And and it, and in my opinion, and I think just from that that one, uh, you just said in yours too, <laughs> a disastrous choice for a lead oh, single. Oh dear, what were they thinking? What were well, they thinking? They, well, I have to tell you what they were thinking because Eric's written about it. They 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 wanted to. It was a pastiche of disco music, but it it comes across as just. But bad it's not, disco is it? Music. It's not. It, no. it, it's like boring rock it's singing about disco but there's, yeah. there's nothing disco about it i love disco actually but this yeah. is just shit 125 in my humble opinion uh I, honestly i had to check the tempo of it paul um, um, what was it Believe it or not, it's it's close to 125 BPM. But this has got to be the slowest 125 BPM I've ever heard in my life. Ah, because, yeah, the lack of energy drags oh, it, it down a it's bit. It's utterly dreary, ploddy. Um, 
the lyrics are silly and that, that horrible thing you get the motion with the notion and then you're out on the floor and, and, and I'm just thinking you guys sound like you're, you're 80 rather than <laughs> rather than what 35 or something and I think I mean we'll come on in the next album to one of the, the bonus tracks uh, one right. of the Andrew Gold ones you know where um, we're doing a bit of parody of, of current musical trends I, w- I won't give away too much about that but it's it's got a similar yeah. dinosaur quality where i'm thinking please please lads shut up now uh and and, and it's like watching your dad dance at a wedding it's, yeah it's, or us dancing or, now <laughs> speak for yourself speak for yourself mr <laughs> mcnulty but no you're right yeah you're right um, but no i think it i think it's horrible and the the, the peak of horribleness is where they actually sing the words reggae 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 uh, yeah, I think okay. I'm going to dial it back a bit. It's all right. <laughs> as an, it's not horrible as an album track. It's it's got some interesting bits, but it's a long way down from like you know Donna through let's say <laughs> Dreadlock Holiday. Yeah, we're talking nearly every single is brilliant. Yeah, that's right. And even uh, a single that's similar from the early days, which has a similar kind of ploddy groove, arguably, is yeah. Art for Art's sake. Yes, that's but what you mean. That's yeah. got, but it's got real bite and a fantastic tune and great inventiveness. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a good call there. There is there is a, a sort of um, a tie between the two, isn't there? I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah, uh, yeah. But art for art's sake, which is possibly my least favourite of the classic run of singles, is still way way above <laughs> one two five. No, absolutely. It, Go on. It is what it is. It is what it is, Sean. Let's let's move on. Let's let's not um, <laughs> kick, kick the corpse anymore. No, that's right. You know, whenever a new 10CC album arrives on the doorstep, I remember back when this album first came out and uh, just loved the groove of the song. I just thought, wow, you know, it has a nice groove, a nice feel. I thought the band was playing good on it. There's, you know, great work by... Uh, Paul Burgess and Stuart Tosh on, you know, the rhythm and the backbeat of it. Eric sings it really good. Uh, I suppose the negatives I found, you know, re-listening to it uh, just in the last couple of weeks, you know, they were just trying to be clever. And yet it was clever on a certain level, but it wasn't really kind of a funny clever. It was kind of more of a clever where somebody hears it and says, oh, they're trying to be clever. And you know the middle section where you know they spell out the word reggae. Oh God, don't stop me on that one. Yeah, and and, and you know I I used to really love that, and on the single it's edited, which makes it a lot better now. Because <laughs> they did all six letters. But somebody said, you know, I remember reading something on the to the effect that the song was not even a reggae song; it was more of a disco song. You know, I'm a anonymous alcoholic on. Um, yeah. And, you know, they, instead of spelling out reggae, I remember reading somebody or some reviewer suggesting they should have spelled out disco instead, you know. And <laughs> if you think about it, D-I-S-C-O, you know, might have worked better. Um, oh, no, but, it, but it's... But, Panny, I appreciate yeah. what you're saying there, but it's neither reggae nor disco. I know it's a song yeah. about disco, and I, I'm not sure right. if it's, it's a critique of disco, but it, it, right. it, for me, it's it's a horribly bland, mediocre tale of of some guy contemplating getting on the dance floor, and I th- yeah. I think it's utter utter tripe. 
the melody, yeah. it, there, there are just two notes in the melody, and, and we'll come on to this when we later talk about Windows in the Jungle and Taxi Taxi, where you've got this this yeah. this horrible binary melody, 125, <laughs> discuss. And you, know, Sean, and you know, Sean, um, yeah, it's amazing that I tend to agree with you more now, you know, to, to go back and hear it now, it didn't, it didn't come across as something that, wow, one time I used to really like this track. I yeah. mean, the thing, this great band and these great songwriters and the reduced to writing. <laughs> I mean, it's a, bo- you know, whether it's a boring disco or a boring reggae track or a boring rock and roll track or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It just doesn't cut it. And, and the thing that I've always been fascinated and I don't know if you know this, you know, that song as a single went to, I think, was it number nine or ten in Norway? What? It, it was a huge record in Norway of all places. <laughs> They've got nothing better to listen to. Too much snow and too much cold, and they're going to listen to the song that's... And, and, and even the, <laughs> vid, uh, the video of it is absolutely dreadful. Well, I, I mean... Did they do a good video? It's in the eighties, anyway, discuss that can be another discussion. But I'm with you completely, yeah. Bunny. What yeah. what should have been a single from this album? Do you think? Because one two five is such a bad choice. Well, first of all, I agree with you very much. I, I don't like the song, and it is amazing that that's the one they picked as the single. You know what? Okay. I really don't think there's many songs from this album that would make a good single. I was actually going to ask you the same question, but I'll tell you what the, my answer is, and it's kind of cheating. Mm-hmm. Love is not for me. I would have I would have taken that out of the Animal Olympics album, re-recorded it with, with Eric as on lead vocals, because I think it's a better song than any of the eleven on Look Here. Yeah. Eric's lead vocals could have made it a true ten CC song, although Graham's version is, is, is very good. I think they would have had a hit with that one. I see my goal ahead with nothing in the way. If love should come, then I'll run away. That's such yeah. such, such a good idea. Sorry to interrupt you, Panny. Uh, I wish Paul was here to shake your hand there. I, I agree with Andrew as well. I think uh, there's two tracks on uh, Animal Olympics that I think are just standout tracks, and one is, you know, the one you just mentioned, Andrew, and, and the other one is uh, Away From It All, which... Uh, it's more of a gram track, but Eric singing um, uh, "Love's Not for Me," yeah, a boy, that would have been just spectacular. I, I, I think those two tracks are lost on that soundtrack and should have been part of a 10CC album. I only wish they were, and uh, it's. I'm, I'm pleased for Graham that that he put out a much, much better album. I think Animal Olympics is better than any of the, the three 10CC 1980s albums. What do you think the one that's the the, the, the solo, the only Eric Stewart solo composition I took you home? I, for me, I think it demonstrates absolutely why Eric almost always needs a songwriting partner. He might very well have some good ideas. He might be the ideas man for many of the songs, but he needs someone to to put flavour into into his songs and add something to them, which Graham does so well so often. This I find this. I took you home a very typical Eric 
Eric song, just like the stuff that he, he did on his last two solo albums, much later down the line. Andrew, I, I agree 100%. I think it's dreary shit. disagree with both of you guys <laughs> well you know because again um i'm not a very nostalgic person you know when it comes to my past and things that i learned growing up as a teenager and stuff but uh you know this song for me almost touches completely a situation i had with you know an old girlfriend of mine okay you know, 30 years ago and even at the time and uh you know 19 uh 81 when this came out it was kind of fresh on my mind at that time so uh, i i love the i love the track i i think there's a couple problems with it i mean if you really listen to eric singing on it i think he sings it very dream you know he's very dreamy on it if i can say it that way and the guitar crying in the different places you know which kind of goes on throughout the song i think is nice too mm. it's very subtle it's a very smooth song you know, and the idea of, you know, being young and, you know, remembering, the, you know, something like that for me. I mean, I had a situation where, you know, what does the lyric say? I looked at her father and I smiled. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's home for me, you know, so much that it's almost like, God, Eric, I told you a story about a relationship <laughs> with the song. Um, I, I, you know, I, 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 this is hilarious. I just see it as, a, as yet another story from from the eric and gloria canon uh where it, it, <laughs> and, and it andrew you know yeah andrew you know what i'm talking about here don't you i do we, we hear many mentions of gloria whenever <laughs> eric's asked to talk about so i'm not in love it's getting a little tiring now yeah well let, let me let me finish up by saying I sorry think we're being disrespectful to your to your romantic I'm, past here oh that that's i i have no problem with that <laughs> because again I respect the way you interpret the song too, and if you look at it, it's not the strongest songs. I, I still think it's a it's a good Eric Stewart song. But the point about Eric needing a collaborator, I think, if Graham would have put his touches on this, it could have been a better song. Yeah, I I, I think you know for, you know one thing that I find about it is that the ending on this thing just seems to go on and on and on and on. Mm. A good a good slight rewrite. I, I think it could have been a great single. I think that, you know, in the, in the vein of something like uh, People in Love or even uh, I'm Not in Love, that might be pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. Something something a bit more original in the production. At, at the moment, it kind of sounds to me like a retread of And You and I from Bloody Tourists. The middle section yeah. of this sounds like a, a steal from from that track. And I, I really like And You and I, but this, this, this is a... a a weak facsimile, really, in my opinion. I, I think it should have been on Eric's solo album, Fruity Rudy's, more so than on a Tennessee album. Yeah. I think it, I think it would fit better on there. Sure, I, I agree. I took you home, you took me in. I knew I'd never be the same again. Baby, you go when not so high. It's like a roller coaster on a day. 
Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, with um, uh, it, it reaches its nadir for me, Paul. When when you have the keyboard playing like a wedding bells. Well, he's the thing is, uh, you know, one imagines he is actually talking about personal experience, early days with Gloria, yeah. maybe and Gloria's father, this character that we occasionally hear about. Yeah, you know, get out my uh, house. Yeah, <laughs> but. So it's sort of touching because you know a bit of the story, but I'm sorry that the music just doesn't support it. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with you completely. I think it's, uh, it goes in one ear and out the other. I'm afraid that one. Yeah. I'm as, as do many of the other tracks on on the record. In in truth, some of them start really well. Um, there's some good intros on this album, I think. Uh, <laughs> Damn it with faint praise. Well, yeah, quite... yeah. I love, I love is anonymous. I think it's got quite a grand intro and then it just goes flat it's not without its flaws but uh, so we start with lovers anonymous which is um written by gulman and stuart yeah i i love the tune I actually didn't find it very catchy and, and quite fun. Really let down, in my opinion, by poor vocals by, by Eric, which I found so surprising. His part mm. doesn't seem to be in it to me. Um, his vocals return to being absolutely wonderful in later albums. The production seems a bit murky, but it's a nice song. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think. Do you think he's suffering from the mental or physical? effects of the accident quite possibly yeah i don't know about that um i'm gonna catch you both off guard and say that i think this is one of the worst tracks on the album um, yeah I, I don't like it i i find it very reminiscent of marriage bureau rendezvous i agree kind of an, and uh, the idea of calling you know a doctor a lover's anonymous to help me with my sexual troubles i mean that's weak isn't it, it? really weak it, and it's funny because what is it? I'm calling lovers anonymous. Talk about your troubles, and we'll throw you a line. Oh, gee, that's you know I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get good advice from me. It's just it's trite. <laughs> but I, I just don't buy it. I, I think there's a line in it that says, "Call us up." You know that middle section. Call us up. We'll answer night and day. Talk to us. We're the the ones I think who found the, their way. Right. I mean, come on. I, one thing I do want. Now, you know, that, that is a highlight on the song. There's two things. Eric's guitar playing, especially towards the end of the song, yeah. he's really just tearing it up. I mean, it rocks. You know, he's he's coming alive. And, and that middle that, that middle section, the choral middle, middle eight, if you want to call it that part, it almost sounds erotic. So. <laughs> we will dance catches you off guard if you you know you go whoa you know like where did this come from like like the soundtrack of a bad porn you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what you're talking about there panny yeah sure you know, you know what. <laughs> but and there's a lot of of prog rock synth work isn't there from from duncan again and paul and i were saying that it it feels to us like 10CC are embellishing these crap songs with these really, yeah. really fancy frills. I think so. I, I think so. And that, 
you know, musically the album has some good things about it, uh, but again, the songs aren't that strong, the no. topics aren't that strong, and you know, they're all great players, I mean, we know that, Eric's a great player, Graham's a great player, is a great keyboardist, yep. and you know, we all know that, but uh, you know, it, it's like taking a turd, and I'm going to quote something you said one time. <laughs> Taking a turd and trying to polish it, and, and sometimes you're successful on it, but yeah, okay. right? How how neatly put. Lovers Anonymous and and like Strange Lover, they're okay. I mean, when you he- when you hear them, you think, oh yeah, that's a that's a nice couple of changes. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of slim pickings compared with what's gone before. Mm. I mean, it's difficult for a band coming off a, such a hot streak because how can you fail to compare it? If, if this album stood alone as, a, as a, you know, as, a, a, as one or two albums that were made by a, a more minor band, mm. it, it would undoubtedly be looked at in a, in a nicer light. I'd be thinking, wow, that incredible single they did, it doesn't matter at all, and they did a really interesting album. But, you know, you're comparing it with the Himalayas, aren't you? And you're just you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, a peak in, in in the Peak District or something. Yes, or, or a, a, but, a small but, bump in the pavement. Yeah, <laughs> a speed bump. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but yeah, exactly, a speed bump. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point, Paul. It, it, it is a good point, but uh, I, I can pretty much assure you that if if this record hadn't had the 10cc brand on it, mm. I wouldn't have, have gone back and revisited it at all. I'd have taken it out of the library, not taped it, and forgotten about it forever. Yeah. It's only because it's 10cc that I've yeah. invested so much time and energy and hope <laughs> And ultimately, <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> despair in 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 getting you know a dozen times through it and not liking it still. And I I would not I would just wouldn't be doing that. You know that's well, that's six yeah. hours of my life that I'll never get back. And well, I, I and I don't I don't give that, sorry I don't give that that level of of investment to bands I you know I don't like. Yeah, it's it's funny that you've probably listened to Look Here more than anybody else who don't doesn't like it so that puts you in a rather unique position yeah and i'm not i'm not i'm not doing my usual devil's devil's advocate thing here paul honestly i'm I'm talking very sincerely about what it it does or or doesn't do inside my my heart and loins sure because we we love them so much don't we We the band and when they don't when it doesn't deliver or whatever in for in our opinion it's it's disappointing isn't it it is disappointing i mean we don't we don't have a duty to like this stuff do we we don't have a duty but we hope no. that we always hope that we will like everything mm. because of, of our love for the band oh there are there are moments so uh, you mentioned strange lover before and yeah and even though it sounds a bit derivative, maybe. It, it's a bit more interesting. And again, I like the, I like Duncan's proggy Rick Wakemany church organ and theremin parts on there. It just kind of it, yes. it, it lifts it a bit.
And he's got some interesting synth sounds, doesn't he? I don't he know. Has. He's got a, uh, he's got he's got an array of sounds. Um, yeah, he's got a Yamaha CS80 uh, synth, uh, a polyphonic thing, which is ah, okay. Yeah, which has got a really good range of sounds. Actually, there's a some, some heavy kind of string synthy sounds on on one of uh, Eric's ballads, but it's also got I think the theremin sound. It's got uh, interesting pads and things. So it, it's an an obvious addition to their musical arsenal. I think that keyboard. It's okay. It's okay. And it was a it was a fairly yeah. u- useful opening track for their nineteen eighty tour, wasn't it? Was it? No, I wasn't on that. I didn't see that tour, but um, no, no, nor did I. But uh, on uh, one of our friends of the show was very, very kind enough to share a 1980 concert with us that we that we put up on our kind of shared goodies, and uh, it was really interesting to see that this one started the show, and it actually worked quite well. It's very up tempo. It's strong, isn't it? It's it's rocky, a bit. R&B, I suppose, jaunty electric piano, all the rest of it, and virtuoso playing. This is a band who are playing out of their skins live. I, th- I think it's a good song, you know, overall. Um, you know, because I'm too close to L.A. and Los Angeles and the whole L.A. scene thing, you know, I live in Northern California. and mm. We have a, you know, a, a friendly competition between the L.A. scene and the Northern California scene. Well, you're, mu- you're much more... Um, you're much more classy, aren't you, darling, up north? Well, classy. I know they're very laid back in L.A., but I also know that L.A. is about, uh, you know, appearances, you know, plastic surgery and the styles and the fads. Yeah. Yes, today's ice cream flavor versus tomorrow. It's a, it's a point of view that's not shared by everybody in L.A. or in, in California. Mm. And it's kind of a, an international, uh, you know, people who you know, know about Hollywood and the film industry. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a, it's a very, the lyrics to me are very predictable about how people around the world interpret LA. Mm. Uh, you know, Sean, every time I come to England, and you know, I've come s- several times over the years, people always have these ideas about California and these ideas <laughs> that, you know, it's big breasted woman driving around in convertibles and they're, you know, stopping you on the street and saying, would you like to go for a ride? I mean, it's not like that at all. Well, I, I lived in Santa Monica, and, and I can I can attest to what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a bit of fun, though. I think that and, and Lovers Anonymous are both just a bit of fun. I don't think we should take them too seriously. No, no, no. We're just, we're just uh, pulling each other's legs there, really. And 
And the final track, uh, I have to make the comparison here. I know you uh, L.A. Inflatable. Can we just say that on the on the last track of Bloody Taurus, Eric's, Eric was having sex with a real woman, and now he's reduced on the last track of Look Here to having sex with an inflatable doll. Maybe he borrowed Graham's. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, that, that's, that's a bad track. It's just... It is. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of slightly fun, uh, but I think I'm definitely damning it with, with faint praise there. <laughs> slightly fun is a bit of an yeah, oxymoron. There's a jaunty electric, electric piano. I uh, don't know what it reminds me of. It's not Super Tramp or Doobie right. Brothers. Um, maybe, yeah. it, maybe it'll spring into my head. Uh, a bit jaunty. And the, the musicianship, Paul, is virtuoso. The, the keyboard lines... Yeah. There's a kind of call and response between keyboards and guitars. Kind of a right, bit, but that go just goes back to what we're saying that you know if there's if the songs aren't there, and to be fair, you know Eric and Graham know this. I mean, the number of times you've heard Graham say, "If the song's there, the arrangement will look after itself." Yeah, and they know, you know, they they know when a song's good and when it's bad. I'm sure that's you know, right. And people. let's face it, and, and if if you have to put. Uh, a Keith Emerson organ solo in a track to lift it. You know, you you're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? Really? Yeah. Right. Right. We've both voiced our, our disappointment with it. Uh, I find it <laughs> a, 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 utterly an utterly forgettable record. Well, yeah, we have just talked for an hour about it, so it's got to have, <laughs> have something. We've obviously got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we should be at work, Paul, today. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's your views as to you know why Harvey, the manager, didn't step in and say, guys, this album just just isn't good enough? Do you think he didn't have enough influence? And he he, he must have done fantastic things for them. I mean, he, he managed to get them onto the Kenny Everett show. Their video was played on the Kenny Everett show. For those people who don't remember that, that was mm. a massively popular show on on BBC One when there was only three or four channels available. So it would have been. Um, subject to viewing of about 10 million people at absolutely peak time. Yeah. And, yeah. Well to get that song, and still it didn't chart, which just shows how bad it was. But <laughs> he was entirely with a man of impeccable music taste and an ability to read the, the industry. Why did he just not step in and say, guys, you've got to, to shelve some of these songs and, and just leave it for a while? I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting that, and he did manage to get them on Radio One an awful lot as well. Uh, you're right; he got them fantastic exposure. Harvey, remember, is a massive fan of calypso and reggae, so he might have really enjoyed those three or four songs that, that used that influence. So maybe he actually thought it was a, a terrific record. Let me say this about the record, and, and we've. Sean, you and I, we, we've touched on this in one of our conversations or emails. 1980, 1981, 82, the whole music industry was changing. It was becoming new wave. You know, everything was becoming techno pop. It was just kind of the beginning of that whole 80s era. Yeah. And I, and I think, although there's a couple highlights on this album, you know, 10CC was away from the game for a little while, you know, a year and a half, you yeah. know whatever the, the space is between this and Bloody Tourist. But, you know, I think the record is just kind of out of, out of sync of the times, you know, with the times. I think, you know, the 
in the band, you know, the, the group dynamic of trying to be, uh, as Eric has said, you know, we tried to do some things politically, you know, meaning allowing others to contribute songs and some of the other things. All these things kind of play into this whole album, and I, I think it's just an album that's kind of out of place for, from the time it was released. It just didn't seem to gel with what was going on in the music industry at the time, and you know, the tastes of, uh, you know, the pop charts at the time as well. Totally. Eric says this as well. He, he talks about the six months that he was kind of completely out of action after his accident. When he came back out into the, into daylight, the music, right. in, the mu- music industry had, had changed rather like Kevin Lowell found when they came out of, of manor and strawberry after consequences, lo and behold, the, the whole musical landscape, was completely yeah. completely different and i agree suddenly 10cc find themselves irrelevant don't they i think there's only just be the one that says the opposite just to be just to be pernickety here, please do I really don't agree. i really don't agree at all and i and i know eric said it and i know graham said it as well but i just i just don't buy that i just find that an excuse i think yes yes music was changing but there was still room in the charts for lots and lots of different different musical styles. It wasn't just dance music, it wasn't just punk music. There's all sorts going on. Yeah, yeah. The problem to me, they're just they're blaming that on just poor songs. And why was it poor songs? Because Eric and Graham had fallen out. Mm. Eric was possibly still ill and not at his peak. Um simple. I, I think also You've nailed it, Andrew, for me. Sorry, Penny. I think you've nailed it, Andrew. I th- I think it, you know what Andrew says makes a lot of sense too. I, I look I, I think back to 1981 when the album came out. You know, I'm a 10CC fan. Here's a new album by 10CC. You know, I listen to a lot of different stuff, but yet this album, you know, when it first came out, I'm excited to have another 10CC album. I played this record to death. I mean, it was, you know, the one that I made a cassette of and had it in the car for months and months and months. Uh, but none of my friends were listening to this. They were listening yeah. to... You know, the Human League or whatever else was, you know, Human League was a little bit later, I think. But uh, mm. the, you know, the British uh, music scene versus the U.S. music scene, although there's a lot of similarities, uh, there's also a lot of differences. I find that the U.K. music scene has the ability to uh, try something different where the American you know, and I'm talking, you know, maybe just the pop charts. Yeah, it was much more, the British charts were much more eclectic, weren't they? Much more eclectic, much more liberal. The American ones are much, you know, boy-girl songs, very, you know, know, everything's a rewrite of the song that was a hit before. But uh, I was excited when this album came out. And, you know, I was hoping 10CC would tour over here. They didn't. They had toured in 78 with Bloody Tourists. I remember checking the newspapers and talking to all my people I knew in the music business, you know, are they going to tour over here? Are they going to tour over here? But again, the album, you know, was dismal in the States. I, I don't think, I don't think it even charted in the States. Uh, I'm looking back at my notes. Yeah, it got to 180 in the USA and it charted at 35 in the UK. Wow. That's, co- so, that's, that's complete failure, isn't it, compared to everything yeah. that went before? Yeah. It really is. The things we do for love, the things we 
You've been listening to The Consequences Podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening.